Welcome to the CPA Success Podcast, helping you be more successful at work and in your life. We profile topics and speakers that are influential in your world. Here are your hosts, Jen Nicholson and Blair Cook. Welcome back to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm Blair Cook. And I'm Jen Nicholson. Today we talk to Karen Wensley. Karen is an adjunct lecturer in professional ethics at the University of Waterloo and the author of a monthly column, The Right Thing, in CPA Magazine. She's also a former retired partner at Ernst & Young, where she served as the tax partner and national human resource leader. She is also the author of The Power of Personal Branding for Career Success, which has been published by CPA Canada. Today we talked to Karen about ethics. What is ethics? What are some ethical challenges that all professionals will face? And try to answer the question, is ethics good for your bottom line? Let's listen in. Welcome back to the CPA Success Podcast. We're so excited today to have Karen Wensley with us. Welcome, Karen. Uh, Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Karen is an expert in ethics. She is a retired partner with Ernst & Young. And she is currently teaching business ethics at Waterloo. So today we're going to talk to Karen about ethics, which is uh, certainly a hot topic for all CPAs, no matter what area of business you're in. If you're in industry, if you work with a firm in government, it is certainly hot for everybody. So Karen, when we look at ethics, how do you actually define ethics? Well, in the simplest sense, ethics is just periodically asking yourself the question, am I doing the right thing? That sounds too simplistic, but when you do the follow-up questions, which is, how do I know what the right thing is to do? How do I get it done? Then it starts to become complex and get you into, okay, so what actions do I need to do in a particular case? So it's really just moving from the normal corporate discussion, which is, what's the best thing for the company's bottom line? And by the way, what's the best thing for my career as I help the company's bottom line? Right. Uh, extending it from there to what moral values are important to me and am I living them here? And also what other stakeholders do I need to take into account when I make decisions? Is there a framework that you recommend for people to use when they're looking at ethics, ethics either in their, in their own personal life or in the workplace? There are lots of different frameworks and different people kind of like different ones. If you're a utilitarian, which is all about consequences, then you ask yourself, what could come of this? So is this the right thing to do in the longer term or is this just short-term expediency? What if everybody did what I'm proposing to do here? Those kind of questions, who are all the stakeholders? Am I making sure that that's a very inclusive group that I'm thinking about? And if I take this course of action versus this other course of action, what is the consequence for all these different stakeholders? So that's a framework that can often be very useful to people, but there's also the professional framework. What are my, what are the principles of my code of ethics as a CPA? Am I doing the right thing here in terms of maintaining my independence, in terms of acting the best interest of the stakeholders as opposed to my own best interest, et cetera. So there's lots of different ways you can frame it as long as you ask the questions. Right. And it sounds like you might be smart to use a bit of both frameworks. Yeah. Most people like both the, what are my values and what are the consequences? We we all kind of try both of those to get to the best answer. And what are some ethical dilemmas that people would be facing in the workplace? And what are some approaches to dealing with them? So there are lots of different dilemmas. 
everything from a conflict of values. So I really, really like my clients uh, and they're, um, you know, not quite meeting their bank covenants. And if I just bend the accounting rules a little mm-hmm. bit, I can make their financial statements look better. So, you know, you're not acting out of what we would normally consider selfish interest there, but what's the conflict between your professional obligations and your loyalty to your client? Sometimes it's pressure. You know, my boss wants a lower effective tax rate and she doesn't care how I get there. Right. Uh, so, you know, my job depends on it. What am I going to do? Sometimes it's just temptation. You know, my bonus is based on the revenue that I generate this year. And I can get a sale if I just give the customer a huge discount. Whereas if I waited a little longer, the discount wouldn't be so big. Is it okay if I do that? So there are a whole lot of different things that can put you in an ethical dilemma. But the the framework for thinking it through is pretty much always the same in what we just talked about. Right. And is tone at the top really important? I think that certainly uh, seems to be a factor in so many of these ethical dilemmas. It absolutely is. Although I'm fond of saying that tone at the top is important, but tone in the middle is even more important. Mm-hmm. So if you have senior leadership, you know, talking about ethics and having a code of conduct, etc. But if the middle managers are under a lot of pressure to produce results of one kind or another, and nobody's paying a lot of attention to whether they're cheating to make their numbers, right. then tone at the top is a waste. So you need to make sure that uh, those ethical standards are cascaded all the way down through the organization because we get our ethics through the people that we work with every day um, in our workplace, not really by what's posted on the website. And how do you develop that kind of culture? Well, a couple different ways. One is, what do you measure? Uh, So if you think about all of the, you know, the Wells Fargo and now the Canadian banks (laughs) used of um, pushing their customer service representatives to get customers signed up to products that maybe are not the ideal products for those customers. That comes about because a measurement system is in there where all of those customer service reps have certain quotas to sell a certain number of those bank products. But there's nothing wrong with pushing people to increase the revenue of the organization. But if you don't also measure something countervailing, like how happy are our clients or have we done an internal audit procedure where we look at are we selling our clients the most appropriate things, regardless of whether they generate more or less revenue for the organization, you don't have that balance of measures then you cannot have an ethical culture. And in fact, you're pushing the culture in, in the other direction. So I was going to say, I mean, there's, there's certainly what's going on with Wells Fargo and the Canadian banks is uh, a lot of publicity around that. And this has gone on for so long, but I don't know that people knew how bad it was. And my argument would be they should have known how bad it was. Like the fact that they didn't know how bad it was means they weren't looking. Um, right. And if you're not testing for that kind of stuff, then you can't have an ethical culture. The other thing that was pretty clear because all of these different things came out in the media is that people didn't feel like they had a place within the bank to raise their concerns because the other aspect of an ethical culture is a culture where you can, without reprisal, bring up, you know, are we really doing the right thing for our customers here? Is this the right strategy in the long run? You know, why are you measuring me on this as opposed to that? If you can have that open discussion, then you are giving everybody permission to participate in the ethics of the organization and you are much more likely to have an ethical culture. Is that sort of like a whistleblower policy or that's a, that's a bit of a different type of, uh, of a model? 
a whistleblower policy is really the last resort. There should be a whole lot of things that any employee can or professional can do before they resort to the anonymous whistleblower, like talk to their immediate superior. Um, Mm -hmm. If you have an ethical culture, you should be able to ask the question. I'm not feeling very comfortable about what I'm being asked to do here. Help me understand why this is in line with our code of ethics or why this is good for the customer or why this is in the longer term interest of the organization. Because sometimes the employee misunderstood and really it's fine, but then they've had the dialogue and they get it. If it doesn't work with your immediate supervisor, then you should go to your supervisor's supervisor and and have that conversation. And I always advise everybody to have a kind of ethics board of personal ethics board of directors. You should always mm-hmm. have a couple of people whose values you really respect and who you can go to. They might not be in the company that you work for. They might be, you know, a mentor that you had in a different organization. They might be a friend. They might be somebody in your organization, but not in your department who you look up to. But it's nice to have somebody to talk stuff through with before you have to resort to a whistleblower or worst case, having to go to the media. Right. So it's a bit of a sanity check to see if uh, what your thoughts are resonate with them as well. Exactly. And not just is the concern I'm raising here legitimate, but also what are the tactics that I could use to get this raised and get this fixed? Because going to your boss and saying, you're asking me to do something unethical, it's not a great way to start a conversation. Right. But if you start by asking questions, help me understand why this is consistent with our code of ethics in the organization. Or another way to start is, I'm sure you're not asking me to push stuff down on customers' throats that's wrong for them. (laughs) So what are some techniques that I can use to identify what's the best product for the customer so that I can both make my numbers and have happy customers? Because if you ask it that way, nobody's going to say to you, well, you should be doing unethical things here. Usually they'll they'll have to have a more nuanced conversation with you. Yeah, exactly. So incentive structures are certainly a big issue and have been with Wells Fargo and the Canadian banks. What are some better incentive systems that could be put in place that would help prevent this type of behavior? As I was suggesting before, there are usually, what, what gets measured is the behavior that you get. So if you only measure one dimension, which is revenue, then you're going to get behavior that's all focused on that. But if you put other measures in place, like customer satisfaction numbers, or appropriateness of product sold, or nature of the customer experience, if you measure those things as well, now you have a balanced scorecard. Um, That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, it's more of a balanced scorecard approach. It's it's the same idea as we have in in rating performance, right? We have a balanced scorecard. How are you managing your team? Um, How are you growing the business? What's the quality you're producing? All of those performance measures ought to be also in an incentive plan. Some of them are harder to measure than others, admittedly. Uh, But if they're not there, then you are going to drive a certain kind of behavior. And how do you think competition plays into this? So as we know, the big banks are extremely competitive, are, are you know fighting against each other to be the biggest and the, the best. And we, we see that in all kinds of organizations. How can industries work together to prevent this kind of behavior? Working together is tricky because you don't always get cooperation. And when governments try to regulate the financial sector and say, like the mandatory disclosures that we now have for mutual right. funds have to yes. disclose their MER, 
the industry was not supportive of this particular process. So this not was not an industry-driven thing. So you would like to think industry would like to, you know, say, okay, let's elevate the ethical standards because then our competition won't be able to undercut us in this way. That happens less often than you might like. But, you know, I think there are other participants that can be more attuned to this kind of stuff. So Wells Fargo was very well known uh, and part of their stock price was based on the fact that they had more, forget what they called it exactly, more customer touch points than any other bank. So their customers had more products, more bank accounts, more mutual funds, more lines of credit per customer than any other bank in the U.S. Right. So their philosophy was eight is great. Exactly. So if I were an analyst, an investor, a board member, I would be asking the question, how did you do that? Exactly. Like who needs eight bank accounts or products from one institution? Exactly. And is are, is there a risk to aim for eight? Exactly. Um, what might the risks be and how can we mitigate those risks? And it doesn't feel like anybody was asking those questions externally. And as we know, the organization was not asking them of themselves. Uh, so I think, you know, we can all as board members, shareholders, CPAs, the media ask those questions before you have some whistleblower going to the media. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and just common sense would say that eight seems like it's not so great, actually. So uh, you're right. Th- those types of things should be highlighted far earlier than they are. And if you look at um, where industry is going with all the fintechs and things like that, it's not in the long-term best interest of organizations like banks to push high revenue products. Because as soon as customers wake up to that fact, they're going to be now motivated than ever to just go to some online source to get their financial services done. So I would argue not in the long-term best interest of any industry to push stuff on customers that's not adding value to those customers. Right. That makes sense. Now, when we look at the psychology of ethics, so there's some research that would say that ethics, it's a bit of a nature and a nurture approach to ethics, that some people just are inherently going to do things that are morally wrong and others won't. How does that play into uh, dealing with pressures in the workplace? I think that it's pretty much a minority of people who are the saints at one end or the psychopaths at the other end. The rest of us in the middle are dealing with work pressures. We're dealing with our own psychology because we are all really, really good at rationalizing our behavior. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, it's just so easy to say, well, everybody does it. This is common business practice. It can't be wrong. Or I'm only following orders. You know, my boss told me to do this. It's nothing to do with me or, you know, it's not material. I don't mean it in an accounting sense, but, you know, this is so small, nobody's going to get hurt or it's just this once. So um, true. And I, that's how some of those big frauds start. Exactly. So, so you have, all these people in the middle who are not saints and not psychopaths and who want to do the right thing and think of themselves as ethical people find themselves because of the culture and because of our own psychology doing things that in hindsight are like, how did I get to this place? So that's why organizations and professions need ethics training, need codes of ethics, need reminders, need case studies, because we can't rely on our own brains to make us always make the right decision. 
No, that's true. And now you teach business ethics to university students who are in their early 20s. How do they feel about ethics? They are very idealistic about the ethics of large organizations. So if you do a case study and they see that the auditors weren't there or the board of directors wasn't there or the CEO was behaving badly, they get very indignant. Uh, But when you take the case studies down to the level of it might be something impacting them. So, you know, this is your first job. You're working for a small corporation and your boss tells you in no uncertain terms that there is not going to be a loss this quarter. What do you do? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when they start to get less idealistic and more, you know, well, I don't want to lose my job and so on. So what we try to focus on a lot is based on a book by a U.S. professor called Mary Gentility. Mary Gentili. The book's called Giving Voice to Values. And her contention is that ethics is a muscle. You have to learn to use it and you have to practice. So how do you have that conversation with your boss who's asking you to do something that you're not comfortable with? How do you have that conversation with your client who's pushing you really hard to say, well, of course we can account for it this way, or of course I can take this deduction on my tax return. And so we try to do a lot of practice in class, not just, you know, me tell them what to do. Uh, So I play the bad guy. I'm your your client and I'm telling you to do this. You don't want to lose me as a client, but how do you have the conversation with me that lets me see that it's actually in my best interest not to claim this tax deduction that isn't allowed? What are the risks I'm, I'm getting into? How do you make me feel good about myself as a, as a client, you know, saying, I, I know you would never want to do the wrong thing. How do you find some common values so that we can actually have a conversation that's not adversarial? That's a definite skill. Um, oh, it is a skill. Yeah. So case studies and role playing would really would help with that. Exactly. Because you're going to be faced with ethical dilemmas in the workplace all the time. And having the skill to navigate your way through them is a super valuable skill as as much as any of the other skills that CPAs need to have. Yeah, absolutely a skill required in your toolkit. So we're getting uh, near the end of our podcast. And I want to end with a question that, that we really wonder about is, does strong ethics really lead to better financial performance? You know, we talk about ethics being required for compliance and doing the right thing, but does it really lead to a better bottom line? That's a really hard question to answer. So people have done studies, for example, comparing the results of so-called ethical mutual funds that won't invest in, say, tobacco and, and guns and other you know, things. You compare ethical mutual funds to just normal mutual funds. And the evidence is all over the place. You know, do they do better? Do they do worse? Probably they do around the same. If you look at the okay. Wells Fargo stock price. So when the, this thing about customers being signed up for accounts they didn't agree to came out, their stock price dropped. But it's right. back up again, right? They, they mm-hmm. didn't suffer anything in the, in the longer term. Nonetheless, I would still say that if you use the word value in two different ways. So one thing we say is sustainable companies are the ones that deliver value to customers. And then on the other hand, you say corporations should operate according to a set of values. I don't think those those two terms are used in very different ways, but I don't think they really mean two different things. Right. You truly are delivering values to customers, which is to say you're not cheating them uh, and you're truly delivering a valuable career to your employees, then in the long term, surely you will have a more successful and sustainable business. Uh, And whether that translates into your quarterly stock price is an open question, but it's, it's still good business, I would argue. Yes, I would agree. 
Well, thank you so much, Karen, for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time. You're very welcome. I'm always happy to talk about this topic. Great. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the CPA Success Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. Visit www.cpacanada forward slash podcast 